Snowed twice in Bethlehem this last uh, this past week in Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Uh, absolutely, because they knew you were going to sing. Uh, also snowed in Cairo, Egypt, first time in 112 years, and uh, just kind of freaked everybody out over there. <laughs> but uh, snows in Jerusalem about once every 10 years, and I think it's snowed twice in the last 10 years. Uh, in fact, twice in the last five years. Uh, kind of interesting. I love pictures of the Temple Mount in the snow. It's really cool. Take your Bible, if you will. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes. There's the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs and then the book of Ecclesiastes. So Psalms is about in the middle of the Bible. And uh, you can go from there. You get to Isaiah, you went too far. Ezekiel, way too far. Revelation, way, way too far. That's the last book in the Bible. <laughs> so close to the middle of the Bible is the book of Psalms. And then the book of Proverbs, written by King Solomon. And then Ecclesiastes, also written by King Solomon. 
I shared with uh, some folks this morning in Sunday school that after years and years of preaching that the King James Bible is without error, I was shown this past week that there are 17 irrefutable errors in the King James. Brother <coughs> Casey, yeah, I mean, I'm, and I'm, I'm still a believer that this book is the Word of God, that it is. There's no mistakes. It's infallible, inspired of God, but there are errors in it. I'm going to show you a couple of them this morning, okay? We'll deal with them, <coughs> but uh, I always want to tell you the truth, and so I'm telling you up front, there are at least, there are only 17 errors in the Bible. Let's stand out of respect for God and His Word as we read first part of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. You read with me if you would. Keep thy foot. I'll wait. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 1. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth. Let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? Let's bow together in prayer. Father, bless your word this morning. We recognize that while we hold in our hands the written word, your son is the living word. And this book is established forever in heaven, from eternity past to eternity future. Your Holy Spirit has promised to preserve the Word of God for us so that we know that we can say this is the Word of God. May Lord bless the message this morning. Speak to our hearts. Bless the meal to follow. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. I'm sure you saw it there in verse 6. One of the errors in the Bible. You may be seated. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. An error in the Word of God. I mean, the Word's right there in front of you. Did you think I meant there was a mistake in the Word of God? I didn't say that. I don't even believe that. 17 errors, 17 times the word error occurs in the Word of God. Only 17 times. So there's only 17 errors in the Word of God, and all of them are true. See? All of them are true. Let's look at this passage again from the beginning. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. What does it mean, keep your foot? Well, it means don't take it off and leave it at the door. Uh, no, that's not what it means. Although my uncle Dave could have done that. Uh, he lost a leg in Korea, and uh, so, he, you know, he could take his leg off most anywhere he wanted to. 
I had a cousin that liked to kick people, and uh, she ran around barefooted most of the time. And uh, after several of us got tired of him kicking us, he was littler than me, uh, I, I, I said, if you want to kick somebody, go kick Uncle Dave. Uncle Dave sitting over there, and he heard me, and he said, yeah, come over here, kick me. And he stuck that wooden leg out there, and this kid didn't know it was a wooden leg, and he walked, came up there and go wham! Oh, Bob! Big crybaby. <laughs> but he didn't kick people anymore, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, it, you know, it turned out to be a good thing. But uh, that's not what this means. This means be careful. Be careful when you go to the house of the Lord. Walk carefully. The Word of God, Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. He goes, the whole book of Psalm 119, we've looked at it the past several weeks. The whole psalm talks about the Word of God. And here we find Solomon writing that we are to be careful when we go to the house of God and we are to be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. You see, the Israelites, every time they came to the temple, were required to bring a sacrifice. If they committed sin, they were to bring a sin offering. If God blessed them with, uh, with their, uh, their produce or their sheep or, or whatever, they were to bring a tithe to the temple and offer a sacrifice. The sacrifice we really don't understand in this country because we're not Jewish and we, uh, we, we don't study Jewish culture. But what they would do is if they had a lamb to sacrifice or a, or a calf to sacrifice, they would take it to the temple and the priest would kill it, cut its throat, drain the blood out, take the blood and offer it as a sacrifice on the corners of the altar. And then they would take the, the calf or the lamb or whatever and they would dress it out skin it, take the entrails out, take those out and bury them, and they would take the animal and cut it into quarters, just like we do. The guy kills a deer, he, he dresses it out and quarters it, takes it home, either to cut it up himself or takes it to the meat market to have it cut up for him and packaged. And so they would do this, and then they would take the four quarters and they would put them on the altar, already burning, already coals of uh, hot coals underneath. And they would put them on this grill and lay them up there and they would cook them on one side and they would turn them over and cook them on the other side. That All of the fat that was in the carcass was burned up. It belonged to God. The priest got one of the four quarters. That was their food. They could eat it there in the temple or they could take it home to their family. If they brought grain uh, to the temple as a sacrifice, the, tea, the, the priest would wave it before the Lord and offer it to God as a sacrifice, and then he would get that portion of the grain. But the burnt offerings, the peace offering, the sin offering, was grilled. Now, in Missouri, we call that barbecued. Okay? And the individual who brought it then would take three-quarters of it, the priest got his portion. 
God got his portion, and this guy would take the rest of it home, and they'd eat out. The favorite thing to do in Israel on a holiday is what? Eat out. Barbecue. Grill. Cook outside. Even to this day. And it started with the sacrifices in the tabernacle. But people who would bring a a sin offering to God often didn't even think about it. I mean, they just, they always brought an offering when they came to the house of God. And so they'd stop and they'd buy a couple of turtle doves or they'd buy a pigeon or, or, or whatever. And, and they would bring it to the priest and say, okay, this is my sin offering. And they would go in and worship. But worship what? Worship being in the temple. And Solomon says, be careful not to do that. Be careful. When you go into the house of God, be more ready to hear than to just make some kind of offering as though it means nothing. Now, can I apply that to today? Yeah, a lot of people come to church, instead of giving God a tithe, the word tithe means tenth, they offer Him a tip. Okay? And it's not even a, a very good tip. I mean... Very few service people, porters, bellhops, whatever, will accept a dime tip anymore <laughs> or a quarter tip. There's a story about this little boy, uh, this little girl and her dad who went to church one morning, and on the way home, her dad is complaining about the service. I mean, the pastor was way too long-winded. I understand that. And... Uh, the service was boring, and, and he didn't like the music. And, and uh, they're driving down the road, and the little girl looks at her dad and says, You know, Dad, actually, I thought it was a pretty good show for a quarter. <laughs> pretty good show for a quarter. She thought that was the admission charge. Didn't speak very highly of the dad, though, did it? Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. Be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do it, that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth. Let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. Here's a, an illustration of that. We sing a song. It's in the hymnal. It's entitled, I Surrender All. And often we sing that song lying the whole time. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. When what we ought to be singing is some to Jesus I surrender. A little to Him I freely give. If we're going to be honest and if we're children of God we at least ought to be honest. Shouldn't we? Yeah. Absolutely. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I mean, when we sing Jesus paid it all, we don't sing Jesus paid some. We sing Jesus paid it all. And we believe that. So why then would we say, I surrender all if we're not going to surrender all? My mother would call that telling stories. Because she wouldn't let us use the word lie. But she's gone and I'm grown and I think the person who does that is called a liar. 
Verse 4. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. I often use this passage of Scripture in counseling with young couples before they get married. If you're going to vow a vow to God that you're going to live with this person and love this person till death parts you, that only leaves two options. Murder and suicide. Or natural death. I guess there's three options. Okay? I'm reminded of the story of the lady who said she, uh, <coughs> she was in an old folks' home, nursing home, and uh, a, 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 a new gentleman moved in, and she was sitting across the table from him one day, and she said, you look exactly like my fourth husband. He said, really? How many times have you been married? She said, three. <laughs> he said, what happened to your first three husbands? She said, well, two of them died from eating poisonous mushrooms. He said, really? Uh, what happened to the third one? Oh, he died from blunt force trauma. He said, really? She said, yeah, he wouldn't eat the mushrooms. That's not the kind of girl you want to bury. No. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. God's saying if you vow a vow and you don't keep your vow, you're a fool. Pay that which thou hast vowed. You know my personal story, my personal testimony. I've been married 39 years. 33 of the happiest years of my life. Good and bad out of 39. Okay? You say, that leaves six years. What was that all about? Well, the first year we lived on love. The next six years, I discovered that she was not perfect. And I was perfect. I was perfect when we got married. I was thinking, perfect man marries perfect girl, going to have perfect marriage. And it turns out, perfect man married a girl who was almost perfect. And so I made several suggestions how she could be perfect. And she did not respond well. And so for six years, I made our lives miserable. Literally miserable. I didn't like her anymore. I'm surprised she liked me at all. It was just bad. But I knew that I'd made a vow to God. That I was going to love this girl and live with this girl until death parted us. And I couldn't commit murder. I was one of those fortunate children who always got caught. Everything I did wrong, I got caught. Some things Ron did wrong, I got caught. <laughs> you know, guilt by association. And uh, so, so I knew that if I committed murder, I'd just spend the rest of my life in prison. I didn't want that. One night I'm driving back from St. Louis. I picked out the bridge I was going to run into, the overpass. Back then, they didn't have all these guardrails and stuff. Didn't have seat belts in the cars. They had them. They were just lap belts, and you didn't have to wear them. And, uh, and I knew that at 70 miles an hour, I could hit this particular bridge abutment, and I'd be gone. I picked it out. And I'm coming over the hill, two hills to the bridge. I'm coming over the first hill. And as I topped the first hill, I said in my heart, God, you made her. You could change her if you wanted to. 
And it was as if the Holy Holy Spirit spoke to me. I didn't talk out loud, but I mean the impression was clear. You promised to love her. Do you keep your word or not? It was like a slap in the face. I did vow that I was going to love her for the rest of my life. And for six years I had not honored that vow. No wonder my life had been miserable. He said, yeah, I made her. What if I love her like she is? I love you like you are. Well, that at the time didn't make any sense because I was perfect. (coughs) Except for the part where I lied about loving her every day for the rest of my life. And later on, he began to point out two or three other areas. Okay, three or four other areas. Okay, a bunch of other areas where I was not perfect. Okay. But you know what I'm talking about. I passed the bridge, came, came on to Festus, got off the highway, went home, walked in the door with the new recognition that love is not a feeling, it's a decision. And I had said that I was going to love this woman for the rest of my life. And I set out from that day to this to prove it. Yesterday, she had a doctor's appointment. I took her to the doctor's appointment. We're on the way home, and she said, I want to go to Walmart. I said, okay, let's go to Walmart. Got to Walmart. I let her out the front door, went and parked the car, came back, put her in a wheelchair, and pushed her all over Walmart. See? I tell people, she pushed me around for 35 years. It's my turn. But truth is, I promise to love her. And if pushing her in a wheelchair demonstrates my love, then I'm going to do it. Whatever it takes. Better that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Oops, I made a mistake. It's an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? Do you understand what he's saying there? You lie to God, you will not live a blessed life. You say, Brother Casey, what if I already lied to God? What if I already committed the error? Oh, I am so delighted to be able to tell you that God is a God of grace. A God of forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means He makes us just like we had never sinned. It's an opportunity to start new, to start fresh. You can't go back and take care of all the problems in the past. There are some cases where you have to go back and make restitution. If you owe somebody, you have to go back and pay it. But you do it as a new person, a person with a clean slate. And that's wonderful. Incredible that God would allow us that opportunity.
But when we hang on to sin, oh, man, wow. When we know it's wrong and we refuse to confess it, then God deals with us. There are errors in the God's Word. Yeah, this is one of them. But it's an error on our part. We've got to always remember that. The error is always on our part. God is perfect. God's Word is perfect. God's way is perfect. And that's what I love. His way is perfect. This morning at Sunday school, we talked about Jesus, there in the garden, prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And while he's praying, the the sin of Adam and Eve, their lack of faith in God, their rebellion against God, Adam's disobedience to God is poured into that cup. And then Cain's murder of his brother Abel is poured into that cup. And then the the sins of the generations up till Noah are poured into that cup. I mean, the Scripture says the thoughts and the intents, the imagination of their hearts was only evil continually. All of that's poured into that cup. And then the sin of Noah, the sin of Nimrod, the sin of the people at the Tower of Babel, the sin of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and all the descendants of Jacob and, and, and all of the people scattered across the face of the earth from the Tower of Babel. All of that sin is poured into that cup. And then the sins of the Israelites as they start worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth and Moloch. And they offered their babies as burnt sacrifices to this big cow's head furnace, laying the bodies of their screaming infants on this white hot tongue of this bull head. Listening to those screams, the drums pounding so loudly that it just resonates through your head in order to try to cover up the screams of the mothers of these babies. And all of that's poured into this cup. No wonder he's crying out, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And then the sins of the world all through the dark ages and up through modern times Open rebellion against the Word of God. Poured into that cup. And then all the sins of all the people that live from now until Jesus comes back. And all the sins of all the people through the tribulation period. Poured into that cup. All the people who are born and live into the millennial kingdom and through the millennial kingdom will... Their sins poured into that cup. And Jesus looks in there at the wrath of God against sin. And he says, Father, 
if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And he went to the cross of Calvary. And there he drank the cup and paid for our sin. And when we recognize that we're sinners, we recognize that we cannot ever be good enough to cover the sins of the past or the sins of the future. We can't promise God we're not ever going to sin again. We can come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And have life in His name. Believing that His sacrifice will pay for our sins. Romans 10.9 That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in thine heart that God raised Him from the dead indicating that your sin had been paid for. Thou shalt be saved. You come to Jesus. And he saves. After you're saved, it would be wonderful if you never sinned again, but that hadn't happened. And so I have to run to 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, we, believers, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can you imagine leaving heaven, all of its glory, worshipped by angels, cared for by angels, coming to this earth as a little one-celled being, growing and growing and growing in the womb until he's full term, being born into a world where the king tries to kill you before you're two years old. In fact, kills all the babies in the neighborhood trying to get you. And your dad takes you and you escape the night before the soldiers show up. And then you grow up. And Satan always watching, always trying to find a way to mess you up. But he never sins. Never seen it. And then he goes to the cross and dies for us and asks us to live for him. If thou payest a vow unto God, defer not to keep it. Pay that which thou hast vowed. In exchange for that, God offers you the free gift of salvation. And you can be saved today. You can be saved today. If you're not already saved, today's the day. In fact, the scripture says that today is the day of salvation. You can be saved today. If you're already saved, it may be the Holy Spirit has pointed out in your heart this evening some vows you didn't keep. Some Sins you committed. 
and you know that you want to be, you ought to be, you need to be right with God. Because God delights in answering the prayers of his children. But if we regard iniquity in our heart, Solomon says, says, the Lord will not hear us. Let's stand together, heads bowed, eyes closed. In just a moment, we'll have a few invitation, a few verses of invitation, song. But I want you right now just to bow your head, examine your heart, and tell me. You don't have to tell me. Just answer for yourself. Do you know that if you died today, you'd go to heaven because you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? You remember a time when you asked him to forgive you and save you. A time when you repented of sin. You knew you were a sinner. And you asked him to forgive you. And if you can't answer yes to that, then you need to come today and be saved. You're already saved. And the Holy Spirit's dealt with your heart about any subject. It may be about disobedience. It may be not being willing to follow him in baptism. It may be about something else entirely. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's dealing with you about. But I invite you to come and here at this altar get things right with God. Father, I pray in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that as your Holy Spirit works in our hearts, we would be wise enough, smart enough, just to say yes to you. Bless this invitation according to your will. Amen.